0: Are you ready to get into the Oscar scores? No, hello, listeners. Welcome to the Non-Toxic Fanboys Podcast, where the name is aspirational and where it is awards season. I am Glenn, and as always, when the glitz and the glamour come out, it is time for Scott and I to break down all of the Oscar nominees for Best Original Score. Scott, they just keep releasing movies, don't they?
1: I mean, yeah, that's kind of what movie studios do. Even at this late date. What, do you want them to stop releasing movies and just switch over completely to metaverse experiences?
0: Oh my god, oh my god, oh my god. We're so early in the show, it was going so well, why are you bringing up the metaverse? When are all the movies going to be in Second Life? Do you think all the movies are going to be in Second Life? I mean, they already do concerts in Fortnite. I mean, they started the last Star Wars movie in Fortnite. Jesus, they did. (laughs) But we're not here today to talk about Star Wars. We might be done talking about Star Wars. I don't know. It's been a long time.
1: I mean, we'll have to see if they ever release another Star Wars that I have any remote interest in. Like, so far, everything they've been releasing lately
0: is all fruit of the poisonous tree. You mean you don't want to watch a TV show about that dude from Return of the Jedi who did nothing and then died? I mean, I had zero
1: interest in the Clone Wars show because it was about the fucking prequels. And then they did the Rebels show that was a sequel to the Clone Wars show. And then they did the Mandalorian show, which is apparently like a whole bunch of connections to the Clone Wars show and to the Rebels show. And then they did the Boba Fett show that's apparently like a spinoff of the Mandalorian show. And then they did that Bad Batch show, which is apparently also based in the prequels. Like, I don't want to watch a sequel to a sequel to a prequel to Revenge of the fucking Sith. If you're going to do something new in Star Wars, don't make it an offshoot of the nader of the franchise. Or, you know, maybe do. I mean, they seem to be having success with it. I mean, I guess more power to them. If someone's enjoying it, good on them. I'm glad they're enjoying things. I'm enjoying things that aren't Star Wars.
0: (laughs) Well, okay. We're not here to complain about Star Wars. I just wanted to get a dig in at the mystifying obsession with Boba Fett. I will never understand. But we're not here to complain about Star Wars. We are here to complain about scores. (laughs) That's usually how these shows go. Nah, 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 nah. Let's not be so negative right off the bat. Because the first score that we are talking about today is Encanto by Jermaine Franco.
1: to see what you thought about this score i i still don't really know what i think of this score i find this score to be very ephemeral and that it goes in one ear and straight out the other i have no memory of this score even as i'm listening to it (laughs) what are the themes of this score i couldn't tell you are there themes in this score i think so But I couldn't find one if you asked me to. I couldn't remember one single note of this score if my damn life
0: depended on it. So it's going to be kind of a weird review. (laughs) (laughs) Just as a bit of context setting, Jermaine Franco is the first woman to score a Disney animated movie. She's the first Latina to be nominated for Best Score, and indeed the first Latina to join the music branch of the Academy at this late date so that's a thing at all yes <laughs> Jeez. The the music branch at least so you know good for her those are good things on its own merits i thought this score was charming and delightful like the movie really i don't know why it is that the animated movies are the only ones i bother to watch before doing these things Probably because those are the ones where music is more important to the actual body of the movie. That's the same reason I watched Soul last year. And this being a musical, of course, I wanted to see what role the music played in the movie itself. And I'll just say, at several points in the movie, I really, really felt the Lin-Manuel Miranda of it all. See, I took the exact opposite
1: approach. I avoided listening to the songs altogether because I wanted to laser focus on the score itself. Of course, that didn't really work for me on this particular score, but...
0: (laughs) Well, I think when you're scoring a musical, there are a couple different approaches you can take, right? Either you take the themes for the underscore from the melodies of the songs or you do something that's more distinct from the songs and something that's filling a different role, which is, for the most part, the approach that Franco took here, where she's not lifting the melodies from the songs wholesale, she's kind of doing her own thing. In the same milieu, of course, there's a lot of the Colombian flavor in the music here, but there's also a lot of a more traditional fantasy sound. And that, I think, is emphasized more in the score because a lot of the songs have that local flavor. So there is a substantial portion of the score that reflects the style that's more prevalent in the songs, but she's also fulfilling that more fantastical style and merging them at times. So I think that's an interesting aspect of the score. I think one challenge to doing the score for this, as is a challenge for several musicals, is that a lot of the more important story beats and a lot of the more important character beats happen in the songs. And so in some cases, there's less room for the score to maneuver. But I think this score still gets a fair amount of that room because a lot of the magical elements, a lot of the fantastical elements of the film don't happen in the songs. And so she gets some of those set pieces to work with, and I think she does very well with those. a main theme that gets a fair bit of workout. When I was listening to the score for the second time, I noticed that theme in little bits and pieces all over the score, with several more obvious highlights as well. So it's a little surprising to me that it made no impression on you. I did enjoy a lot of this score. I mean,
1: it did sort of suffer a bit from what I've been calling the mid-score doldrums which seems to happen in a lot of scores, where, like, the beginning of the score is kind of fun and interesting and has a lot of cool ideas, and the end of the score has a lot of good stuff as they wrap everything up, and in the middle of the score, while the meat of the story and all of the action is happening, it sort of retreats into generic blandness. And this score doesn't really do that entirely, but there are a lot of tracks in the middle of the score that just really don't stand out. But a lot of this score I really did enjoy quite a bit while I was listening to it. I couldn't tell you the first thing about it now. It just refuses to stick in my mind at all. It's like reading a book report you wrote about a book you don't remember reading. I remember enjoying most of this score, and I remember having almost zero other impression about it even as I was listening. It just didn't stick in my mind at all. You could say maybe that's my own problem, like I should learn to pay more attention, or I should be listening more closely, or whatever, but... You know, I decided several years ago to stop blaming myself for my lack of enjoyment of stuff. Like, it's not my job to enjoy stuff, it's the stuff's job to entertain me. So, I guess this was entertaining in the moment, but like I said, it was very ephemeral to me. It left no lasting impression. I feel like there's more there, and from what you're saying, there probably is a lot more there. You know, maybe I could puzzle it out if I, like, really took the time and just listened to it over and over and over again, and if I, like, really analyzed it closely, like, saved samples of stuff so that I could go back and remind myself of, like, what themes I'm listening for so I could, like, compare A to B to figure out where all the themes are and then, like, make notes of it and then, like, listen using that as an outline to, like, guide me through it and whatever. If I just dedicated a whole bunch of time to analyzing this score, then I could probably puzzle it out and really... Really get a lot more out of it but i'm not going to put that kind of time and effort into it i especially don't have time to do that before we release this show <laughs> i've got four other scores to listen to so i mean it is what it is i found it entertaining in the moment and it left no lasting impression whatsoever that's about all i can say
0: well am i going to remember this score a year from now probably not But after I watched the movie and listened to the score and went back and listened to a few tracks a second time, I went to bed humming the theme to myself, if I'm honest. You know, it stuck with me that much.
1: Well, as I said earlier, in that case, I'm happy for you. I'm glad you found a thing you enjoy.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Being the latest Disney musical, obviously one of the songs from this got nominated for Best Original Song. And I don't know that we want to break down all of the song nominees, but since I watched the movie and listened to this one, I will say the song that they nominated is very far from my favorite song in the
2: movie. (laughs) Seguirás ya su milagro.
1: yeah there was a whole thing about that because apparently one of the songs like went viral on tiktok or something and it's not the one they nominated but apparently like they asked lin manuel miranda which one do you want to nominate and he picked the one they nominated so you know if you're disney you keep lin manuel miranda happy so he keeps writing songs for you
0: You know, not knowing that, I had assumed it was a corporate decision because the one they nominated, if I recall correctly, is the end credits song and not one of the more character-based, plot-based songs in the film. And so I understand nominating that one for the Oscar because it's not as tightly specific to the mechanics of the plot. Whereas I haven't seen any of the TikTok stuff. I don't know which one went viral, but I assume it's probably the Bruno song, which is the catchiest one in there. I can hear. My second favorite in the film I love the pressure song that one of the sisters sings I know you don't know any of this but that song I really thought was cool
2: I move mountains I move churches and I glow cuz I know what my worth is. I don't ask how hard the work is Got a rough, indestructible surface Diamonds and platinum I find them my platinum I take what I'm handed I break what's demanded But under the surface I feel berserk as a tightrope walker In a three-ring circus Under the surface Was Hercules ever like Yo, I don't wanna fight Cerberus Under the surface I'm pretty sure I'm worthless If I can be of service A floor crack, the straw in the camel's back is like a trip, trip, drip that'll never stop. Whoa, pressure that'll tip, tip, tip till you just go pop. Whoa, give it to your sister. Your sister's older, give her all the heavy things we can't shoulder. Who am I if I can't run with the ball? If I fall too, pressure like a drip.
0: That is the one that I felt the most Lin-Manuel miranda e. It has a very tight rhythm, a very tight rhyming structure, which I really, really associated with him. But again, I completely understand nominating the one that they did. Yeah, I'll have to go back and listen to
1: the songs at some point. I just, like I said, I was avoiding them because I wanted to keep my attention
0: focused on the score. Sure, absolutely. Do you feel at all like we're approaching the sort of place that the best score category was getting to in the early 90s when they decided to split dramatic scores from comedy and musical scores and have a second score category for the duration of the 90s because they just kept giving it to Alan Mencken for the latest Disney movie every year? <laughs>
1: Well, I mean, how many of these Disney movies have actually won best score?
0: I was thinking about that when I started listening to Encanto, and I was trying to remember, did Soul actually win last year? Does Trent Reznor have a second Oscar? And it turns out, yes, Soul won last year, and Trent Reznor has a second Oscar. And I think it would just be really fun if Trent Reznor had won for best comedy or musical score. (laughs) (laughs) It's not happening every year obviously.
1: I mean, I have complained in the past about Academy voters sort of using that as a crutch. Just like awarding the music award to the musical, even though that's not the music that makes it a musical. And that's not
0: the music that makes a musical good. I mean, you could talk about La La Land there too. La La Land being the other sort of musical score where the melodic content of the score is very tightly based on the songs.
1: Yes, but also a score where the melodic content of the score is... Minimal? Yeah. Like, that score was so... If you're going to analyze the music in that movie, the songs are like 90% of it. That score was just sort of there to fill in the spaces between the songs. It didn't do anything on its own. It didn't do anything that was even half as interesting as the songs... But it's the music from the musical, so they awarded it the Music Award.
0: Yeah, it's very A to B thinking. Although, they already have the best song category from musicals, but whatever. So, I mean, if you want to segregate them off into their
1: own category so that you can give more awards to fucking (laughs) Hey, He's not nominated this time. Fine, so you can give more awards to fucking Johnny Greenwood.
0: Well, we'll see. But at the very least, I think the score to Encanto holds up on its own more so than a lot of musical scores. Because of those fantasy elements, because of some of the set pieces in the film that don't have songs for them. And so, I think it's really an enjoyable, charming score. Several of my notes indicate so. (laughs) God. Okay. Well? Speaking of Johnny Greenwood, let's take a hard shift in tone and content and talk about The Power of the Dog by Johnny Greenwood. Now, Scott, I know that this score is everything that you despise in life, so... (laughs) That's kind of harsh. Yeah, so are you. I'm looking at your notes, dude. So I'm just going to drop a few things and let you say your piece. I once again went to the trouble of actually watching this movie, which shockingly gives one a perspective on its score. The Power of the Dog, and honestly, I feel a little silly saying the title, but I feel silly saying a lot of things. I mean, in this case, it's literally from the Bible. Like, at the end of the movie, someone opens the Bible and reads the quote and everything. It's the least subtle part of a film that is very, very subtle because nothing in this film happens on the surface. Pretty much. It's one of those. The Power of the Dog is a very uncomfortable movie, it's a very tense movie, it's a very alienating movie about alienated people in an alienated place in an alienated time. And while other films that I've actually seen that Johnny Greenwood scored did not give me much of a perspective on those scores, I still have nothing to say about There Will Be Blood. In this case, I actually understand what it's going for, and I understand what it's doing. Does understanding
1: that make it any more enjoyable to listen to? No. Okay.
0: (laughs) I also read a somewhat interesting interview that Johnny Greenwood did with John Burlingame of Variety, where he gave some additional perspective on the score and on some of the instrumental choices. There is a piece in here that's using a cello that's being played like a banjo to kind of reflect the banjo playing that Benedict Cumberbatch's character does in the movie at another level of alienation and another level of strangeness. There's a French horn that features, at several points, that Greenwood conceived of as, in this score, the instrument of toxic masculinity, in the way that when you play it louder, it just kind of starts screaming. I should find his actual quotation about it. Uh, To me, that's the sound of pent-up masculinity. They sound repressed, but the louder they play, the more open and angry they get which I think is an interesting use of that instrument. I think it's an interesting use of single players and very small sets of players in the construction of the whole score, because this was done, you know, during pandemic times. We're not getting an orchestra together. He also said something else that I thought was very interesting and took me a second to really click in. He's asked about the relationship of this score to a big traditional Western score, which... When was the last time there was a big traditional Western movie with a big traditional Western score? Was it like Silverado? Like, this was 30 years ago, (laughs) and it was
1: very rare then. I was going to say probably closer to 50.
0: Yeah, they were made all the time in the 50s and 60s, so I don't think it's surprising when you get a tense alienated Western with a tense alienated score. He says, I wanted to avoid the trope of sweeping strings to accompany sweeping landscapes. When Peter does venture into the mountains and desert, it's an alien-forbidding landscape. It's funny, I was more inspired by the 60s Star Trek scenes, which, in my memory at least, had lots of atonal brass.
1: of this reminded me of star trek a bit right like bits and pieces here and there yeah i did get that feeling a lot
0: if you think of where no man has gone before a lot of that has some slower more atonal more alienated and lonely feel that wasn't really picked up in much of the score for the rest of the series i don't think it was really the preference of the producers but that feeling definitely is there
1: I mean, I could point out the inconsistency of considering that sort of feeling for a 10-second stinger on a television series versus that sort of feeling in a five-minute track on a one-hour film score, but you're still doing your little intro bit where you try to explain this away before I give my opinion, so go ahead.
0: I don't think I'm explaining anything away. I'm just explaining some impressions that I have and some things that I thought were interesting. I'm not saying anything about the quality of the music qua music. I'm just saying that as its function, I mean, it's functional. QED. If you say so. Now, say your piece on why this is grievously offensive to you. Well, I was going to say,
1: you've been going through all this stuff and like, you know, okay, here's what he said in an interview about why you picked this instrument. And here's how, like, COVID restrictions impacted the recording. You haven't said, is this any good? You never got to the point where you talked about, is this enjoyable to listen to? Is this good music? Is this engrossing? Is this interesting? Is this entertaining? You never touched on any of that at any point in your entire thing. Not particularly. This is the score I was listening to when I decided I don't need to listen to Johnny Greenwood scores anymore. Well, I mean, we'll see how many more Oscars he gets nominated for. Like, we've covered him a bit in previous shows. He's been nominated for several Oscars. I listened to a few of his scores during my 2021 survey that I did recently. And I sort of, I know what a Johnny Greenwood score is now. I know the hallmarks of a Johnny Greenwood score. I know his tendencies when he puts together a score. I know what a Johnny Greenwood score sounds like. I know what a Johnny Greenwood
0: score is. And what it is, is not for me. That much is evident. And I would dare say not for me either, personally. There are tracks on here that I can understand
1: why someone would enjoy. Certainly not a majority. Certainly not many. But here and there, one or two or three... There are some tracks on here where I can understand why someone would enjoy them. That person who enjoys them is not me. But I can understand, theoretically, as an intellectual exercise, I can understand why someone would enjoy those. But that's like, maybe two or three tracks off of this CD. The rest of this is just so agonizingly empty. That's the word that describes most of this to me. It's just so empty. Like, not all of it is without melody, but almost all of it just feels empty. And, like, I guess, you know, if he's trying to make the thing feel empty, because that's what the movie wants you to feel, congratulations, it feels empty, but God, it's a chore to listen to something this empty for this long. It just feels aimless. Nothing feels like it has any particular rhyme or reason outside of, like, a couple of bits here and there. Like, I remember one track in particular stood out to me. I'm like, a random number generator could have composed this. so aimless nothing felt like it had a reason nothing felt like it had any intentionality behind it it's like the highest aspiration of this score is to like maybe suggest a vibe and that vibe is emptiness
0: i'm not sure the vibe is emptiness as much as it's that sense of separation and alienation I know I keep coming back to that word, but I think it really is the most important thing that the score communicates. See, I didn't really feel
1: alienated from the score, other than just, you know, disinterest. (laughs) Well, okay. It didn't really feel alienating to me, it just, like I said, it felt aimless and empty for the most part. Like, there was nothing there that I could really glom onto. There was nothing there that I could follow along with. There was nothing there to grab my attention and carry me through the score. Like, the strongest emotion the score elicited from me, frankly, was anger. <laughs> well, yes. And that was only at one particular point. There's one track fairly late in the score. One track that felt particularly aimless and empty, after several tracks that felt particularly aimless and empty, there's one track that doesn't have an ending. It ends by fading out. And that just, at that point, after the previous several empty tracks, that just made me irrationally angry. Like, how dare you? After all of this aimless dreck, after several tracks of aimless dreck and then another track of aimless dreck, you have the audacity, you have the nerve, you have the sheer, unmitigated gall to end the track with a fade-out? Like, I don't want to call this score lazy and generic just because it doesn't appeal to me. I'm sure a lot of careful thought and dedicated effort went into creating this aimless dreck. But ending a track with a fade-out is absolutely, definitely, the laziest, most generic way to end a track.
0: Not a fan of uh, rock singles of the 70s and 80s, huh? Even
1: there, I don't like it. It's not a good way to end a track. Okay. It's, like I said, it's just sort of lazy. We can't even think of a way to end on the beat, so we're just gonna, like, keep going and fix it in post.
0: That does seem like it would get awkward in concert, too, right? <laughs> That's something I can't wait to see. The power of the dog performed live to screen. You know, wheel one of those detuned pianos onto the stage. Okay, that brings up an interesting question. You've seen the movie. Mm, yes.
1: Is that detuned piano track source music? Or is that just, like, he thought that would be a good score for that scene? Because I'll forgive it a lot if it's actually source
0: music. There is a scene in the film featuring that piano. There are also a couple more scenes in the film featuring Kirsten Dunst's character trying and failing to play the piano that play off of that earlier scene with the detuned piano, but it does feature as a source element early in the film.
1: Okay. Like I said, if it plays a role in the film, and that's why it sounds like that, I'm going to be very forgiving if he decided this is what the non-diegetic score needs right now oh my goodness gracious i mean i could understand that too i couldn't i mean again it lends a vibe yeah and that vibe is we should have fired our
0: composer well now you're being unkind
1: now i'm being unkind I mean, so far, the frontrunner for the Oscar is the silence from Doctor Who, so I'm not going to get a lot more kind.
0: I don't know. I think maybe you're verging out of the territory we staked out when we retitled the podcast. I'm not the one who said that the signifier of toxic masculinity is the French horn. Well, I mean, it can be in some contexts, and after reading that, I mean, I see it. All right. With that said, Let's move on to another of our Oscar preview favorites with Don't Look Up by Nicholas Bertel. I think I know what you're going to say about this score. Not only from seeing some of your notes, but just in general. I was going to say, we have a shared document
1: where we take notes for the podcast, so you should have a pretty good idea.
0: Yes, but just in general, knowing you as a human being, I think I know some of the things you're going to say about this, and before you do, I'll just say, yeah, pretty much.
1: I find this score... In turns, disappointing and confounding. Because when you really analyze it, there's nothing wrong with this score, per se. It's not empty and aimless. It's not a-thematic, a-melodic dreck. It's decent music. There's a couple of themes and motifs that they're playing with. The main theme is kind of fun. So, like, there's nothing I can look at and say, this is what's wrong with the score. But it just doesn't appeal to me. I just don't find it interesting or entertaining. And I really think that's just down to a matter of taste. Because there's nothing about the score where I look at it and say, I don't like that, or they should have done that better. I mean, the main theme does kind of vanish a bit in the second half. I've talked about that before, where the beginning of the score is sort of heavy on the theme, and then as they get more into the story, they sort of forget about it for some reason. This score does do that. But that's a relatively minor thing compared to just... I just don't find it interesting. Like I said, I can't point to anything that's like a capital offense. The score doesn't do anything wrong.
0: It just doesn't appeal to me. Yeah, pretty much. I find it inoffensive and unremarkable. The big band style cues lend a sort of energy to the movie at times. And I think what you're pointing to as far as the disappearance of that feel and that theme as the movie goes on is that it grows more despondent and melancholic as things progress.
1: See, ideally, I would have liked to have seen them show that by making that theme more despondent and melancholic as things progress, rather than letting that theme fall by the wayside and switching over to other material. That's how I like these things to be structured. But like I said, that's not a capital offense. Like, there are other themes that they use in the other tracks. I'm not a fan of the secondary theme, because it's just really stereotypically bleep-bloopy that you see in a lot of science or science fiction movies. Like, I think I complained about the same thing when we were talking about Passengers several years ago. Like, there's science in the movie, people are doing science, and so the music just gets really bleep-bloop. That seems kind of, again, I don't want to call it lazy, but it's just such a commonly used thing that when it shows up again, I'm just, do something more original. Like the big band style theme, that's kind of original. Doing sort of big band swing for your science movie, that's, you know, that's interesting. That's something new, that's something to grab your attention. Doing bleep bloopy for your science movie is just the same thing as a hundred other scores.
0: It's A to B thinking, I think I said in another segment earlier, whereas, yeah, I agree, the big band style is more of an A to C move that makes it a little more interesting. There's also a great deal of pastiche in the score. The album includes a couple of source tracks, like the hold music and a commercial track and things that are very good pastiche. couple of tracks, the launch and the arrival at the hangar for a couple of scenes that really do pastiche more of a style that you'd find in a movie that's not a satire.
1: Yeah, that launch track in particular stood out to me as like the most standard movie score sounding track in this movie score. Exactly. Which
0: is exactly the role that that's serving.
1: I do appreciate when they take the big band theme and they play it using the instrumentation of the other theme, the one that's usually sort of bleep bloopy. Like that theme is also often played on like a celeste or a xylophone or something like that. So it's sort of high chimes that then transition into sciencey bleep bloops. And they use that sort of style and instrumentation to play the melody from the big band main title theme, which I think is really interesting the couple of times they do that. i said i wish they had done more of that when the movie takes its melancholic turn i wish they had taken that theme on a melancholic turn and you know played it in different modes with different instrumentation but they don't do that very much there are a lot of things about this score that i appreciate from like a structural level almost from like an analysis level there's things this score does that i appreciate it doing there's things this score does that i wish more scores did It just doesn't come together into something that entertains me. That's really the only criticism I have.
0: For the other scores we've talked about so far, I've mentioned the limited role that the scores had to play, whether they were sharing space with songs or inhabiting a narrow emotional range to show the emotional range of the story. And so I wanted to watch this movie as well to see what sort of range, what sort of role, what sort of support the score was giving to it. Because there are a few different approaches you can take when you're scoring a comedy and when you're scoring a satire. And in the film, as on the album, I find this score functional. And that's pretty much it. Like, it's not aggressively hemmed in by the parameters of the project, like the other ones that I've mentioned. It's just doing its job. And that's fine. And that's about it. That's about my impression of it. Well, let's see if I pull off the hat trick and manage to watch all of the films that we're talking about for the Oscars when we move on to Parallel Mothers by Alberto Iglesias.
1: Actually, technically, you already did the hat trick, since, you know, a hat trick is three, and you've seen three. You should use a metaphor like hitting for the cycle or something
0: like that. Hitting for the cycle isn't a phrase I've heard before, I don't think. Although, I have a confession to make. Okay. I didn't watch this film. (laughs) I have not completed the cycle. I have not brought the chain to completion. I'm sorry. My journalistic integrity is shot.
1: Well, that's the end of the show. Thanks for being with us. (laughs) Hopefully we'll emerge on the other side, in our changed form.
0: We could really use a golden path for the podcast, I think.
1: Can you tell we're avoiding talking about this score?
0: No, no, no. Let's get on with it. Alberto Iglesias and Pedro Almodovar have been working together since 1995. Iglesias has scored more than a dozen of his films, so they have a very fruitful collaboration. So what do you make of Parallel Mothers?
1: Parallel Mothers strikes me as a score that is very focused on accentuating each individual moment in the film and is very much not focused on creating a cohesive listening experience. And as somebody who is listening to the CD and not watching the film, that style does not at all cater itself to my entertainment. There's a kind of an interesting violin piece that this score uses in the first track and the second track and the last track and nowhere (laughs) else. And, you know, that's the thing you want to do with what could charitably be called the main theme is you want to give your listeners like a nice 45 to 50 minute break in between uses. The music in this score isn't bad per se. It's just like each little individual bit is pretty good on its own. Some of it is kind of beautiful. But none of it seems to have any connection to anything that came before or anything that came after. And so there's just nothing there to, like, glom onto to carry you through the listening experience. There's no consistent through line that you can follow throughout the piece. There's nothing that you can follow from track to track to track that you can follow the development of to guide you through the score. It's just all kind of disjointed. And none of it is bad, really. But in the end, it's just so disconnected from the rest of itself that I find it deeply, deeply uninteresting. Like, there are other tunes throughout the score that are also picked up in that final track and sort of reiterated. But they're so isolated when they come up initially And by that point at the end of the disc, I was just so uninterested in this score. It's too little, too late, sort of. Both too little and too late. I don't know, I kind of feel like I'm being harsh on this score, but it just did not grab or hold my interest in any way whatsoever.
0: I've seen this compared to some of Bernard Herrmann's thriller scores which were really a touchstone for a whole lot that's happened in the genre in the last 50 years. And that's a comparison that I don't think does this any great favors. I agree that there isn't a whole lot to hold one's interest Obviously, since this is the one film I didn't go ahead and watch, I can't say exactly how much prominence is placed on it and exactly how much it has to do within the film, but the sense that I get is it's accentuating the coldness of some elements of the story, isolation. Those sorts of moods are conveyed very well. Not in a way that's going to add up to a fun CD to listen to, as you say and not in a way that I think I can really be in a position to analyze very extensively. I don't know, this comes off as a fairly standard thriller score, which I don't mean in an insulting way, but at the same time, singling it out in awards season is a little weird. I will say that one moment that I found very effective was at the very end of the last score track on the album, when a lot of the tension, a lot of the instrumentation going along with that, a lot of the intensity kind of melts away, and there's one lonely little piece just to close out the very end of that track. That, I thought, was pretty effective. And I'm a fan of some of the harp work in this score. It has reminded me of some other thriller scores that have stuck in my memory slightly more, to be honest. I love a harp. I've probably said that before.
1: I would agree that I think the last track is probably the best track on the CD. It has some nice melodic elements to it. But by that point, I was just so checked out from this score. Like, if you're going to have one good track, put it up front while the audience is still paying attention, you know? I'm assuming that last track is the end credits. Presumably, yeah. Because it's a pretty long track, and it seems to touch on a lot of bits from earlier in the score and expand upon them. And this is sort of my perpetual complaint about scores, Why couldn't those melodies be expanded upon in the body of the score? Why couldn't concentration and focus be given to melodies in the body of the score? Why does the entire score have to be aimless and unfocused, and only in the credits track do you get to spend more than 20 seconds expanding upon a melodic idea? When was it decided that having coherent musical pieces as part of the body of a score was somehow verboten.
0: Well, we do have one nominated score that I think really did get to flesh out its ideas, and that is our final nominee, Dune by Hans Zimmer.
1: which we already reviewed in our previous episode. Go check it out in the archive.
0: Yes, obviously we talked about this a bit before, but as we've been going over the other nominees, we've been talking a lot about the roles that they've been given in their respective films and the limitations and the opportunities that those roles can provide. So thinking about it in that context... What sort of role do you think the score played in Dune? Like, how much of the story, how much of conveying the characterization or the setting do you think the score had to do? I mean, I guess it accented certain things
1: and accentuated certain things. Did I just use the same word twice and just conjugated it slightly differently? Mm, indeed. (laughs) But I don't think the score really carried much on its own.
0: Yeah, I agree. It's not like the movie was depending on the score to convey the sense of scope and the sense of grandiosity of the story. The visuals were expansive. The visuals were spectacular. The visuals were doing a lot of that already. The score helped. Yeah, I was going to say, the score
1: did convey some part of that grand scale Yeah. The, you know, sort of booming Zimmer style that he used for a lot of the theme renditions, but certainly none of that was dependent upon the score. The score helped, the score accented it, the score reinforced it, but none of that was depending on the score.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It was a positive contribution to a lot of things that the movie was trying to do. The pressure wasn't solely upon it, and it's not like it was trying to make up for shortcomings in that regard. It's not so much making up
1: for shortcomings, but the way the score complements a movie can itself be done in interesting ways. Like, I imagine the big band swing theme used for the science fiction disaster movie Don't Look Up. I imagine using a big band swing theme for that sort of added to the absurdity of the film that was trying to put across the absurdity of the situation and the absurdity of the actions of some of the characters. And so having a theme in that incongruous style would have added to that absurdity and helped reinforce the feeling. Absolutely, yeah. Dune, on the other hand, just sort of had big, epic music used in a big, epic movie. That's... I mean, it's reinforcing it in its own way, but it just doesn't feel as creative a choice, you know? It's not anything novel. It's not anything unexpected.
0: In that respect, no. I think many elements of the score for Dune were very much expected. Which, again, I don't say in a negative way. But it is a very strong contribution, and it is a very positive contribution. And I think that's pretty notable in terms of scores that have kind of a lower profile and scores that are kind of marginalized. Say what you want about Zimmer. His music doesn't get marginalized. It's not a marginal element of a lot of his movies.
1: And yet so many Zimmer scores are, in fact, marginal at
0: best. (laughs) I was waiting for that. Thank you. So. Considering the five scores that we've talked about today, which one do you think is going to win?
1: I'm kind of torn on who will win. I don't think it'll be Don't Look Up. Yeah, I don't think so. I don't think it'll be Parallel Mothers. An argument could be made for any of the remaining three, really. I don't think they'll give it to the Disney musical. Really? I was thinking they might. I mean, they could, but they seem to shy away from doing that. They'll give the score award to lots of musicals, but they seem to shy away from the animated musicals, the Disney musicals. So I think Encanto has less of a chance with the Academy voters. So I think that award comes down to either Power of the Dog or Dune. Part of me thinks that they'll give it to Dune, since score is about the biggest award that movie could actually receive. You know, it's a case like Black Panther, where it's not going to win any of the bigger awards, so they'll give it score. But that estimation comes down, I think, to, and I'm really approaching this having almost nothing to do with the quality of the music involved, but I think that estimation of Dune winning the award comes down to Zimmer's reputation among Academy voters. And that seems to have taken some public hits lately. How do you mean? I mean, there's been a whole bunch of reporting lately about how Zimmer doesn't actually write any of his scores. He pays other people a comparative pittance and doesn't give them credit to do the scores for him.
0: Ah, those. There have been more discussions about that recently. I've seen more discussion of that recently. There was a big article about it a few weeks ago, I think. I mean, that's kind of the open secret in Hollywood in general, that a lot of the big-name composers have rafts of assistant composers or additional composers and whatnot. You know the 7,000 DC live-action shows on the CW? The same guy scores all of them. Quote-unquote scores. You know?
1: So, if Zimmer's reputation is taking a hit among Academy voters at the moment, I think that might tilt it in favor of Power of the Dog. My best guess as I say Zimmer still wins it, just because of the Academy tradition of score is the biggest award that movie is actually going to have a chance to win.
0: Is score that big an award? It's not even on the TV show anymore. That's another thing I've seen some discussion about in recent weeks as well.
1: Well, that's good. It means I don't have to watch the award ceremony.
0: <laughs> I think they might go ahead and give it to Dune as well. And I'm fine with that. That's fine. I will say this about Zimmer as well. In terms of having teams of co-composers and associate composers and whatnot... Zimmer is a lot more open about it than most other composers. You know, Zimmer has openly had an apprenticeship program that he has run for, like, 25 years. And there are credits for a lot of those people in the actual booklet credits on the albums. Zimmer's the big name, obviously. He's the name on the cover of the album. He's the person who's famous. But... There have been people who got credit for at least some of what they did for Zimmer and graduated, you could say, to become, you know, very prominent composers themselves. You know, we have the John Powells of the world. Whereas a lot of other composers kind of just don't make a thing of it. And it does become that kind of open secret, as I mentioned. So I'll give Zimmer credit for that.
1: As for who should win, I'm torn on that as well, because none of these scores really blew me away. (laughs) If I had to pick one, I think I might lean toward Don't Look Up. Really? I think that had the most interesting ideas in it. It had a lot of different styles in it. He was playing with a lot of different ideas and a lot of different styles. I'm not sure any one of them really got the focus or development that I would really prefer. But I think that's the score that had the most interesting ideas in it. I don't know, maybe if I could actually clue into it and remember a single note of it, I might go for Encanto instead, but since I can't, I think Don't Look Up would be my pick.
0: I think I would go with either Dune or Encanto. I'll give Encanto a lot of credit for, as I said, carrying the fantasy element of the movie which the songs really weren't catering to. And so it did play a very important role, and very successfully, I think. And Dune as well was very prominent in the movie. It was mixed very prominently. You couldn't miss it. It was an important part of the film. And as we discussed when we had our proper episode about it, was actually pretty good. So I think either of those I would be perfectly happy with. If they give it to Power of the Dog, what excerpt do you think they'll use to play people onto the stage?
1: (laughs) I think they'll use that one part that sounds like really spare and bleak and very nearly entirely devoid of melody. You remember
0: that part? I think one French horn player in the Oscar orchestra will just stand up and play for a minute. I mean, likewise with Dune, I think it's also a bit of a quandary, because a lot of the statements of the main theme are very big and broad and epic and slow. Like, it would take a while to cycle through. Do they have a scream
1: singer in the Oscars orchestra? I'm sure they could hire one.
0: No, they'll use the Harkonnen throat singing.
1: Oh man, now I'm just remembering back to when the Oscars had competent hosts. Like, can you imagine a skit where Billy Crystal emerges from a pool of motor oil? Oh my god.
0: Oh my god. (laughs) I do not want to see Billy Crystal do a musical number about the power of the dog. I'm not sure I want to see anyone do a musical number about the power of the dog. Who even hosts the Oscars anymore? Like, who's actually hosting this? I think they
1: recently announced three hosts for this year, didn't they? Really? Which is remarkable, considering they're only presenting, like, five awards on the show.
0: Yeah. Apparently, these Oscars are being hosted by Regina Hall, Amy Schumer, and Wanda Sykes. Okay. Wow, okay. Good for them. Anyway, we've wandered
1: rather far afield.
0: Yes, we have. I think that'll do it for our Oscar preview. We will find out very soon which of these scores will win. In the meantime, if you have any questions, comments, or suggestions for the show, you can find us at NontoxicFanboys on Twitter and Facebook, or you can email us at nontoxicfanboys at gmail.com. If you'd like to support the show, get episodes early, and hear an exclusive monthly behind-the-scenes podcast where we talk about the making of the show, you can do that at patreon.com nontoxicfanboys. You can find all of this info, plus every episode of the podcast and all of our other accounts like our YouTube channel, our Twitch channel, and our Discord server, all listed at our website, nontoxicfanboys.com. The theme music to the podcast is Discovery by Alexander Nakarada. Other music in this episode comes from Encanto, score by Jermaine Franco, songs by Lin-Manuel Miranda, soundtrack published by Walt Disney Records. The Power of the Dog, score by Johnny Greenwood, published by Lakeshore Records. Don't Look Up, score by Nicholas Bertel, published by Netflix. Parallel Mothers, score by Alberto Iglesias, published by Quartet Records. Dune, score by Hans Zimmer, published by WaterTower Music. All of which are excerpted here for the purposes of review and critique. A full list of tracks cited can be found in this episode's description. Thank you all for listening. We'll see you next time. Because there are a few different approaches you can take when you're scoring a condom, condomy. You're scoring a condom. <laughs>